Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. A few years ago, I had the privilege to go to Alaska. In fact, Octavius, you and I were in Alaska together, and we could tell a lot of funny stories of each other. And and I just might, but by the time the night's over. But Alaska's a beautiful, beautiful place, and there's so many things to love about Alaska. We went on a fishing trip. We didn't know what we were doing. I know Octavius loves bears. I did come to find that. Um, you know, let me just tell a story, yeah, about Octavius. I, I knew, I, I didn't plan on telling it, but I just can't resist. He did not like the idea of being around bears. And so, of course, any of the fish that we caught, we let Octavius carry them <laughs> naturally because multiple reasons. But if a bear is going to attack, he's the only one that could legitimately win. You know what I'm saying? Like... But Octavius would go walking through the woods in the wilderness, and he would be singing at the top of his lungs. I mean, any, any church song that we were singing, I mean, it was quiet, you could hear the birds chirping, but there's Big O. I mean, oh, he was thinking that it would scare the bears away. It must have worked. Uh, we're here. Uh, I don't know. I trailed way far behind just in case they were like, hey, there's a dumb person over there screaming loud enough that I can come eat them. You know, you never know which way it's going to go. So, uh, but, but Alaska, that had absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. Um, but Alaska is a gorgeous place and, and you land and you go on a fishing trip and you, you get in your car and you drive into the backwoods to where... There's very few people, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on, there's not a lot of noises going on, a a place very far from civilization as you know it. And depending on where you go in Alaska, you can see all different sorts of animals. You can see bears, you can see lions, no you can't see lions, you can see bears, you can see moose, you can see all different kinds of birds, but it's just Amazing, because the thing about Alaska and that that makes it so beautiful, all the marine life that you can see, is not necessarily just the animals. It's beautiful to see the animals, but, but what intrigues me the most about this whole situation is not really just the animals, but the experience of the animals combined with the environment in which these animals are in. Because in Alaska, you see these animals are free to basically go wherever they please. Thousands upon thousands of acres to to just roam without a bunch of pavement to get in their way or a bunch of houses or a bunch of cars. They're free to roam as they were intended to roam. They're they're, they're free to walk and fly and and take part of the rivers and the streams and eat of the grass without having to worry about somebody putting a fence up and they can't go there. And so they have this small portion of land. No, no, no. In Alaska, there's thousands upon thousands of acres for them to be able to roam and to graze and to go about life. The vastness and the beauty is unbelievable. It's 
one thing to see a caged bear. But it's a whole nother thing to see a moose walk right in front of your vehicle just randomly like you're you just you're stopped and you get up and you, there's a moose right there literally like that's the traffic on the road is a moose it's one thing to see a caged bear but to to see a bear as you're fishing come down the mountainside and swoop up a salmon out of the stream it's totally different. It, it changes everything. It gives you a whole new perspective. You can go to the nicest zoos that, that you can pay to see and find the animals that you're looking for. Some of the very same animals that you would see in Alaska, you can find in a zoo for sure. And it's beautiful to see them in a zoo, but a zoo is safe. A zoo is predictable. It's tame and almost right after you've been in an experience to where you've seen some of these animals in the wild it becomes kind of predictable you know what they're going to do you know when they're going to wake up you know when they're going to go play with the tire when they're going to throw the food to them it it becomes a a routine if you will and it's not nearly as exciting as seeing them in the place where they were designed to be uncivilized untamed and uncaged. And this got me thinking, right? And I hope this isn't true, but could this be the case with the church today? Is this a possibility, right? That it wouldn't be intentional, of course, we know that, but sometimes I fear that we take people out of their natural habitat and try to tame them in the name of Jesus Christ. We remove the risk, we remove the struggle, we remove the danger. And what we end up with is a caged Christian. A Christian that's not free to roam as as God intended them to, to walk amongst the vastness of the wilderness and the trees and fly and land wherever they want. But now we we've caged them in. And now we have caged. Christians. And deep down, I think we would all admit or say that, that we long for more. And sure, the, the tamed part of us grows accustomed to the safety of the cage. But the untamed part longs for challenge, for adventure, for something more. Always reaching and longing for more of Him to know Him greater. To not stay in the confines of where we've always been but looking to expand our territory looking to move and roam as God intended us to do at some point in our journey the safety and the predictability of the cage no longer satisfies Jesus and you know this as well as I do Jesus didn't die on the cross to keep you and I safe he died to make you and I dangerous he died so that you and I when we walk out of here could change the world 
And I would like to think that when we pray our prayer tonight, we have an altar call tonight, that, that when we dismiss service, that, that in a sense that I am opening the cages and sending dangerous people back into their natural habitat to wreak havoc on the enemy. To reach, to, to send some people out who may have been tamed by life, but you say, you, you know what, after tonight, after this moment, after God did something in me, I will go back into my natural habitat. And I will no longer be the same. I will, I will roam, I will fly, I will fulfill all the purposes that God has designed for me. It's time for some of us to start wreaking havoc on the enemy. The truth of the matter is this. There are so many things in life, though, and you, you know this, that if we allow them to do so, will keep us from passionately and effectively pursuing the things that God is calling us to do. The things that were designed, the, the things that are in our very nature, there, there's things in life that if we allow them to, will get in the way of us doing what God's calling us to do. We could talk about several different cages tonight. We could name hundreds of cages. We could talk about the cage of responsibility, couldn't we, where over the course of a lifetime, God-ordained passions tend to get buried beneath day-to-day -day responsibilities. Where less important responsibilities displace the more important ones. We could talk about the cage of routine that at some point in our spiritual journey, most of us trade adventure for routine. Nothing is wrong with routine. Hear me, I'm a creature of habit. But sacred routines become empty rituals that keep us caged and keep us from fulfilling the purposes that God has called us to do. We could talk about the cage of assumptions tonight. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm underqualified. I'm overqualified. It's too late. It's too soon. We could talk about the fact that, that we start to put eight foot ceilings on a God that says, you can't contain everything that I want to do for you. Why are you trying to contain my blessings? With an assumption. You're too young. You're too old. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not powerful enough to do what I'm calling you to do. Yeah. We could talk about the cage of fear, couldn't we? Yep. Yeah. The fact that we need to, to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. <laughs> we could talk about the fact that some of us tonight need to start playing offense with our life. Start doing something. Start moving the ball down the field instead of playing things so safe because we're so scared of the consequences that we stay at the five-yard line and God has opened the field. The defense has been moved off the field. And he's saying all you got to do is drop back and heave it up. The list goes on and on and on. And you could think of many more that we could talk about tonight, but... In preparation for tonight, I just I felt God leading and guiding and directing me to a specific cage that I feel holds many of us back 
It's a cage that we really wouldn't admit to the outside world, a cage that a lot of people around you, the person sitting next to you probably has no idea that you are being hindered by this cage and that you are sitting inside this cage tonight. It's a cage that has kept you from wreaking havoc in the world around you the way that you're designed to do. We're going to talk for a few minutes tonight about the cage of guilt. Around the, the turn of the 20th century, a Russian psychologist and physician, you, you know his name, you know his story, named Ivan Pavlov, performed some groundbreaking experiments that won him a Nobel Prize. Dogs, naturally, you know, this salivate for food, but Pavlov wanted to see if salivation could be caused by another stimulus. And as you remember from a high school science class, I'm sure Pavlov conditioned the dogs by ringing a bell before feeding them. Eventually, ringing the bell without the food was enough in itself to cause the dogs to salivate. Pavlov referred to this learned relationship as a conditioned reflex. And to one degree or another, right, no matter who you are in this place tonight, every single one of us have these tendencies. We've all been consciously or subconsciously conditioned our entire lives, and much of our behavior is dictated by these conditioned reflexes. What what do you mean? What do you mean, Brad? Over the course of our lifetime, right, uh, we acquire an elaborate repertoire of these reflexes. Some are are very minor and subtle, such as a nervous laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Or a half smile. Just trying to survive in society. Some conditioned reflexes are as natural and normal as a blush, and others are as destructive as drinking to drown your sorrows. The truth is this, you and I are far more conditioned than we realize, and and part of spiritual growth is recognizing how conditioned we really are and allowing God to recondition the areas of our lives that need to be changed. When we sin, right, guilt is a healthy and holy reflex, but some conditioned reflexes, watch this, are like psychological straitjackets that have the ability to immobilize us emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. False guilt, for instance, is a great example because you know that when we seek God in repentance, when we, when we go humbly before him, when we've made a mistake and we say, God, listen, I have messed up and I, I'm so sorry for, for my actions. Listen, from this moment on, I'm going to stop going in this direction. I'm going to change my life and I'm going to start moving in this direction. Will you wash me white as snow? Will you cleanse me? Boom. When we ask for forgiveness, he is quick to forgive. And he's quick to forget. But for most of us, it's far easier to accept God's forgiveness 
than it is to forgive ourselves. Why? Because we can forgive. This is so simple. But we can't forget. You can forgive, but you don't forget the mistakes that you've made. Even the oldest person in the room today can go back to a sin or a mistake that you made when you were a teenager. It's how life works. You can forgive, but you have a hard time forgetting. We can become so fixated on past mistakes that we forfeit future opportunities. We mistakenly think from time to time that our mistakes disqualify us from God ever thinking, right? From thinking that God could ever do anything with me. I, I've, what? He's that small? These feelings of guilt become the cage that keeps us from wholeheartedly and passionately pursuing everything that God is calling us to in this day and age. Enter into the story a man by the name of Peter. Let me set the stage for you. We're going to turn in our Bibles in just a moment to Luke chapter 22 verse 54 As you're turning there, let let, let me set the stage for you. In this passage of scripture, Judas has just betrayed Jesus. And now the Roman soldiers, they're on their way to arrest Jesus, right? And so when, when the soldiers get there and they reach for Jesus, Peter grabs his sword, cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. Jesus puts it back on. And then the scripture says this. Then seizing him, speaking of Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated in the firelight. She looked very closely and said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Peter replies, no, man, I'm not one of them. I don't know what you're talking about. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, I'm trying to tell all y'all. Y'all are crazy. I don't know what you're speaking of. How many times do I have to say, no, I don't know him. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Our friend Pete made some mistakes. He was an imperfect person. He, he made his fair share of mistakes. And no, this mistake was not found at the bottom of a bottle. This, this mistake was not running away from his family or, or leaving his wife. This mistake was not cheating on a test or stealing from his company. No, no, no. This mistake was denying the one true living God. 
Think about it for a moment. There's a lot of of mistakes that you could play through your mind that might happen in a day. But I'm pretty sure that most of the people under the sound of my voice would say, that's not one that I would ever consider. (laughs) No, no, no. There's not going to be a point in time where I'm going to say, no, I do not know him. No, get away. Whatever, whatever. Uh -uh. Most of us would probably say that, that, that there's a lot of things that might go through my mind, but that surely is not one of them. There's no questioning the severity of Peter's mistake. But there's something else in this passage that we we tend to skim right over. And I want to draw our attention to it because it, it draws out what we're talking about tonight so beautifully. It would say this, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. As soon as Peter had denied the Lord three times, the rooster crows, reminding him of what Jesus had previously told him. Before the rooster crows... You will disown me three times. Thank you for that reminder, Mr. Rooster. I appreciate it. It's just what I needed. Can I, can I just remind you today, maybe you, maybe you know this. They didn't have iPhones back in Pete's days, right? Like, when I need to wake up, I set my alarm and it goes off. How do you think the disciples would wake up every single morning? They would wake up every morning to the sound of what? A rooster crowing. Cock-a-doodle-doo! Please cut that out of the podcast. There was no snooze button for them to hit. They woke up every single morning, morning after morning, to the sound of a rooster crowing. And it brings me to think about this question. I just happen to wonder if every single morning, Peter would be sound asleep. He would be sleeping wonderfully. And then all of a sudden, the goofy rooster begins to crow. And every single time the rooster crowed, I wonder if Peter is taken back to the moment... Of his greatest mistake. I wonder if every single morning when he's fast asleep and he dreams such great dreams. But but every time when that rooster starts to crow. It takes him back to the place that he never wanted to relive again in his life. It takes him back to the, the biggest mess up that he's ever had in his life. There's no changing it. What are you going to do? Get away from it? Mean, well, you can't shoot all the roosters. You can't turn your iPhone off. That's not how it worked for Peter. Every single morning, Peter is reminded of the biggest mistake that he has ever made in his life. And I know that scripture would say that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. But, but for tonight, I just also believe that he crows like a rooster. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and his tactics have not changed since the Garden of Eden. 
He wants to remind you. He wants to remind me. He wants to remind every single person in this room of our greatest failures over and over and over and over again. Why? Because if we start to focus all of our energy, all of our time, everything that we have on our past mistakes... If we start focusing all of our energy on what happened back in the day, on what happened when we were a teenager, what happened that we couldn't control or maybe we could control, and we start focusing on that, that we will have no energy left to pursue kingdom-minded goals. Satan wants to turn each and every one of us into a reactionary. And Jesus has come to recondition our spiritual reflexes with his grace. And once you and I have been spiritually reconditioned, then we can walk out of these doors and walk into our natural habitat and begin to wreak havoc on the enemy, to take back the areas that the enemy has taken from you. I don't know what mistakes you've made. I don't know your past. I don't know the things that you did yesterday. I don't know the things that you did when you were a teenager. I don't know how great they are or how small they are. I don't know what sinful memories are etched into your brain right now. The things that are running through your mind, the entire message. I don't know what those things are. But here's what I do know. I know the God that we're preaching about today, the God that we've worshipped all day today, the God that you worship every single day of the week is not through with you. He's not ready to throw the towel in on you because you made a big mistake. He's not ready to wipe his hands and say, "Ah, I'm done with you, Brandon. I'm sorry, man. You've messed up one too many times. No, no, no. That's not the God that we serve. It's not the God that we worship. It's, It's not in his nature. It's not who he is. He's not done with you. And if he's not done with you, let's go. If he's not done with me, then I know there's something that he's calling me to do. And if he's not done with me, it's time for me to stand up and do whatever it is that he believes I can do. It's in these moments of our greatest failures... It's in this place of of vulnerability, listen, that can make or break us spiritually. We either lock ourselves in the cage of guilt and never come out, or it's in this moment where we can begin to discover how big the grace of God really, really is. The choice is yours. Will you stay in the comfortability of the cage where you know what tomorrow's going to look like? You know the pain that you're going to experience, but you also know the pain that you probably won't experience. Or will you step out, begin to discover everything that God 
has designed for you. Luke 22, I love this. 61, 22, 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. It's a footnote in Scripture, really. We, we just breeze right past it oftentimes, but, but this one phrase speaks volumes. This one phrase changes everything in my mind. The split second after Peter denies knowing Jesus, Jesus looks straight at Peter and makes eye contact with Peter. Right after he denies him knowing him, he's Jesus. And if, if I know the God that I'm preaching about, right, if I know the way he deals with me, then I probably know the way that he dealt with Peter in this moment. I don't think this was a look of condemnation. This wasn't a look of evil eyes thinking, Peter, what in the world have you, oh, if I could just, uh, what? Hold me back, disciples. No. That's not how Jesus operated. I think Jesus knew that Peter would beat himself up over this mistake time and time again. And Jesus was not about to give up on Peter, but Jesus knew that Peter just might give up on Peter. Jesus isn't done with you, Peter, but you can't be done with you either. Peter's denial doubled as his moment of greatest spiritual vulnerability. And this is exactly why Jesus makes eye contact with him. Why eye contact? Out of all the things that that he could have done, why does Jesus look straight at Peter? Because making eye contact establishes a relational connection. I can't tell you how many times I've lovingly grabbed Windsor. <laughs> Look me straight in the eyes and tell me what you did to your sister. Right? It gets your attention. Hones you in. Ah, I can't tell you the times... Cassidy has grabbed me. <laughs> Clean it up. And look straight into my eyes. Just said, Brad, you are the best husband <laughs> that any woman could ask for. What, it could happen? Let a man dream, right? Come on. Okay, so don't laugh at me. She does that. And I'm like, thank you. But right, how many times, let's think about this, when you were a teenager and you're with him or her, just stare into their eyes. Not the creepy way, y'all. You just. <laughs> but it's like you can almost see into their soul, isn't it? Because 
Making eye contact establishes something more than, than all the other nonverbal forms of communication. Have you ever avoided eye contact with somebody you've been gossiping about? Of course! Because establishing eye contact creates this relationship. Looking into someone's eyes is an intimate act. And if you look long enough, it's almost as if you can see into their soul and he or she can see into yours. In this moment, listen, Jesus didn't need to say anything to Peter. In fact, if he would have said something to Peter, it would have been an indictment that Peter was with him and Peter might have been arrested. So Jesus, selflessly, sends a non-verbal message via eye contact to Peter. And in essence, he's looking at Peter. And you know, you know, whether it's a good look or a bad look, when she looks at you like that, you know whether it's good or whether it's bad, don't you? You can tell. And he looks at Peter. Peter. Peter, I know you've messed up. But Peter, I want you to know that I forgave you before you even made the mistake. Peter, I am not giving up on you. Peter, this is not the time for you to throw in the towel on yourself. There's still a world that needs to be saving, and I'm calling you, Peter. Let me tell you tonight, listen. In the most unhyped way that I can do, the most non-emotional way that I can say it, there's some people in this house that Jesus is wanting to stare eye to eye with you. Because if it, if it were to get out what happened, the things that you're carrying right now, it may ruin some reputations, it may hurt you. He doesn't need to say a word in this moment. But he's wanting to get right here with you and let you know no 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 I'm not done we're still in this together I got you you're forgiven you're forgiven Peter's impulsiveness undoubtedly leads to a lot of moments of vulnerability in his life. And one of them happens just hours before he denies knowing Jesus. And we, I kind of set the stage for you previously and told you a little bit about it. it. It happens when the religious mob comes to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of a man named Malchus. Now listen, Peter gets a bad rap for this. You got to give the guy a little credit. How many other disciples did you see coming to Jesus' aid? Peter, what are you doing? Back off. He's mine. What, uh-uh. I'm not sure that's the appropriate way to respond. But with that being said, right, let me state the obvious. You, you don't cut somebody's ear off and get away with it. It's not the way it works, especially if that someone is the servant of the high priest. 
Peter had some major legal problems on his hand. They were looming. Peter was about to have to deal with a bunch of stuff because of what he had just done. Worst case scenario, Peter gets charged with attempted murder. Best case scenario, he would be charged with assault. Assault and battery with a deadly weapon. But either way, Pete, you're going to jail. You want the good news or the bad news? You're going to jail, Bob. And we tend to ignore this subplot here, this underarching theme. But this is one of the clearest pictures of grace in the Gospels. Jesus miraculously reverses the irreversible by reattaching this man's ear that was coming to crucify him nonetheless. And catch this, this is important. He also destroyed all of the evidence against Peter. Watch. Think about this. Think about this. The man files a lawsuit against Peter. The stenographer captures what is said in the courtroom. The soldier says, Peter cut my ear off with his sword. The judge asks, which ear did he cut off, sir? My, my right one. The judge walks over to the soldier's ear, inspects the ear, and throws the case out for lack of evidence. And some of us think... That because we made a mistake when we were 12, we were 13, we made a mistake yesterday. That Jesus doesn't have the ability to remove any evidence of our past mistakes. Can I tell you ladies and gentlemen, when he went to the cross for you and for me, he removed any evidence of your past, any evidence of your mistakes. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You can be used by him. There is no greater moment. There is no greater feeling Then all of your guilt meeting all of God's grace. And can I tell you, any time that all of your guilt comes in contact with all of God's grace, without a shadow of a doubt, God's grace wins every single time. But Brad, you don't know how bad it was. No, you're right, I don't, but I know how big His grace is. And I know what he did for me at the cross. Therefore, it doesn't matter what my mistake is. The cross trumps everything. Several weeks after Peter's denial, he makes this statement I'm going to go fish. John chapter 21, verse number 3. 
And I guess it's possible that, that Peter just wanted to go fishing again. Maybe that, that could be the case. But part of me wonders in this moment if post-denial Peter thinks that his career as a disciple was over. Wouldn't you? Make a mistake like that, it would be natural. Peter had failed too many times. Maybe he was thinking about going back to fishing for a living. This would be our natural inclination when we experience failure to revert to our old ways. And you know what? Satan would have loved, he would have loved for nothing more than to have Peter go back to a life of fishing every single day for a living. That's exactly what the enemy would have loved. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, how history could be changed if Peter would have gone back to a life of a fishing boat after he had made a mistake? If he had reverted back to his old ways and the ways that he used to live because he didn't think he was good enough to keep going. Can you imagine how history could be changed if he would have made that choice? But Peter was commissioned by Jesus to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the good news. Guilt has a shrinking effect in our lives. It shrinks our dreams. It shrinks our relationships. It shrinks our hearts. It shrinks our lives to the size of our greatest failure. But grace... Grace has the opposite effect. It expands our dreams. It expands our relationships. It expands our hearts. It gives us courage to pursue the things of God with every fiber of our being. Guilt versus grace. Randy, would you come? Post-denial, Peter had been living in his cage of guilt for several weeks when he was recommissioned by post-resurrection Jesus. And the way that it happened was no coincidence. John 21, verse number 15 would say this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, right? Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus once again says, feed my sheep. 
I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. You see, Peter, listen, Peter was insulted by the repetition. But is it possible tonight that Jesus knew a little something about conditioned reflexes long before Ivan Pavlong ever came along? Peter failed miserably three times. And Jesus recommissioned Peter three times. Just stand with me. But that's not all he did. That's not all he did. And I've, I've read this so many times. And I've never seen this. God Almighty. Did you notice in the scriptures when this recommissioning, this reaffirming took place? John 21 and verse 4 says this. Early in the morning. Jesus reconditioned Peter while the roosters were crowing. And so now, now the thing that used to wake him up and make him miserable every single day, morning after morning, day after day, the thing that reminded him of the worst mistake he has ever made. You see, it's not by accident the way that God is moving and shaping things in your world. He doesn't work like that. No, no, no. It's not by accident that this took place three times. For now you see that the morning and the rooster crowing is now a reminder of what Peter is supposed to go do in the future. That listen, listen, the thing, the thing that that used to bring me down and frustrate me and anger me and leave me in depression, not feeling like I'll ever be able to make it, now represents something completely different. Everything's changed for me now since I've encountered you one more time. And I want to tell you tonight, listen, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what it is that you have ever done in your life. I don't know if it was yesterday or four years ago or ten years ago. Would you close your eyes with me? Come on, right now, in this moment. He's wanting to establish that eye contact with some people in the house tonight. And I hope... I pray that you have the courage and the faith to establish that eye contact with him. Come on, you don't have to open your eyes, but I'm talking spiritually right now. He's saying, listen, it doesn't matter. We're not going to have a typical altar call where I'm not going to pull everybody that's dealing with guilt to walk down here. I'm not going to single you out like that because I believe right now in this moment God can move where you're standing. That he can do something in this moment. 
Words don't need to be spoken. Come on, he's making some eye contact in this room right now. I believe it. Come on, open up, open up the eyes of your soul right now. Let him look in. Come on, every, every hidden place, every place that you've, you've pardoned off to where, you know what, God, you've had access to everything except for this. Come on, tonight is your night. Allow him in. God, you see the greatest mistakes I've ever made. God, you see my biggest failures. You see the guilt that I've been living with every single day. God, I'm tired. I'm tired of being caged. I'm tired of being held captive any longer. But in this moment, in this moment, God, I receive your forgiveness. But beyond that, Lord, I forgive me. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let him talk to you right now. Let him do something in you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, you're no longer caged and held captive by the guilt that has held you for years. Come on, those chains are falling off. Those chains are breaking right now. Come on, those things that used to remind you of your greatest failure are now being transformed into your greatest victories, the moment where God has done something miraculous in your life, where he's calling you to something greater, where he's calling you to a future where he's allowing you to see the purpose and the plan that he has for your life, that he's not finished with you. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. (laughs) Have your way, Lord. Sin minus grace equals guilt. But sin plus grace equals gratitude. Sure, listen, you're you're free and you're welcome. To choose the safety and the predictability of the cage. You're free to to forfeit the adventure that God has designed for you. But you won't be the only one missing out or losing out. For when you and I, when we lack the courage to break out of the cage and pursue the things that God is calling us to, the opportunities that he's, he's bringing in our way, The opportunity costs are staggering. What do you mean? What do you mean? Who might not hear about the love of God if you don't seize the moment to tell them? 
who might be stuck in poverty for a lifetime, who might be stuck in ignorance, stuck in pain, if you and I are not the ones to help free them. How many generations will be affected because we chose to live in the cage of guilt? Here's my thoughts. I don't think any generations are going to be affected because I don't think we're going to choose to live in the cage of guilt any longer. Some of us need to walk out of this place tonight. Listen. With your head held high. No longer, listen, you're not walking in condemnation any longer. You're not walking with your head down, frustrated about your past and what used to be. He has removed any evidence against you. And now, now listen, now it's up to you and me to walk out of these doors, walk back into our natural habitat and start wreaking havoc on the enemy. Yeah. It's time for us to step back into our everyday lives and say, you know what, enemy, you've taken enough from me. Enough is enough. And tonight, everything changes. You will have no more of me. You will not control my mind. You will not control how I feel. You have no power over me. I've stepped out into the wilderness. I've stepped out to where I was created and what I was designed to do. You can't hold me captive anymore. For tonight, I have been set free. Just stretch your hands heavenward. Lord, we honor you tonight. God, we give you all the glory. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.